Welcome to the One Hand at a Time podcast. I'm your host, Chris Welton. And today I've got a new twist on a show for you. I actually have a friend of mine from high school, and we haven't really connected since high school's over. That's over 30 years ago. We, I think we both graduated when we were like eight or nine, so we're not as old as you think we are. But we're going to have some really just cool conversations. Christopher Carr is on the show with us today. And it's two Chris's just kind of chopping it up a little bit about family, about personal growth, success and failures, and just getting caught up. And you guys get to get a front row seat to that. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much, Chris. It's great to be here, man. Uh, a little bit of an imposter syndrome being here, uh, listening to your podcast previously. And you have these mentors and these coaches and these people that come on and have these powerful influences. Uh, and it's about positive and, and it's about, you know, reinvigorating lifestyles. And, and uh, you know, I'm just a, a buddy from back in the day. Uh, slinging it out here yeah. on the West Coast, trying to make chicken, you well, know, chicken salad out of chicken shit. So, well, I tell you, but you're one of those people too in my life. Like, so I watch you, right? I see what you're doing, I see what you're accomplishing. You're chasing your dreams in California, which is not easy to do in the film industry, right? Yeah. It's just not yeah. an easy thing. Yeah. Um. So I want to get into that at some point, but sure, I want to share one of my first memories of meeting Chris, and it was at Bishop Moore High School in Orlando. And um, it was a football practice. And Chris is a year younger than me. So I came to school as a sophomore, and Chris was a freshman. And he was our quarterback on our football team. And um, a lot of times quarterbacks will be arrogant, and they'll be too good to talk to you or whatever. But for some reason, Chris and I just gelled right out of the gate. And we always had great conversations and stuff through the through the trials and tribulations of playing football at a really bad football school. So it was, uh, at it was that time, about, at that time. We're... Yeah. Oh, now they're, they're dominant, but I don't recognize <laughs> it when I go there now. Ball. So let's talk about football first and just how, how did the, the, the struggles with football prepare you for the film industry? I mean, there has to be a parallel there, right? Uh, I think there is. Um, and I think it's a performance thing. It's something that in where I am in my life and I know, um, you take these, reevaluations kind of it, maybe it's every decade you kind of look back on things um why we did what we did the choices we made and stuff like that um i only ever really had two dreams in life um was to play football in the snow and to be uh, on to be in film um whatever that meant at the time i was uh living on heights court in pine hills and we used to make these audio recordings of you know alien invasion and and you know these elaborate stories with the kids in the neighborhood and i think that manifested from there um wanting to perform and tell stories and stuff like that and i think that having an having an ability to and a, and a love for <clears throat> excuse me and a love for football as well um the ability to get out there and play the, the ymca was there it was close by i could get out there and play um Bishop more often football, I could get out there and play. So the availability to play and the love for, for football. I grew up in Florida. You know, the dolphins were big and Marino and, you know, it's kind of the thing. So I was like, I, I actually started at eight playing football. Um, and my dad was a high school player. And so I kind of looked up to him and admired, you know, the, the newspaper clippings and the stories that he would always tell. So I think that led to me wanting to pursue football that way and I love football 
Um, and I enjoyed the collision. I enjoyed the hitting and the camaraderie, the, the, the team building. But the performance aspect of it is there too. You know, you get the praise and you get the, um, the, the jeers when it's bad and you get instant, you know, it's, it's instant, whatever it is, it's happening instantly. And you hope that it's the good. And when it's the good, it makes you strong enough to withstand the bad. And we didn't have a tremendous amount of good as far as racking up points and, uh, you know, uh, really, you know, destroying on the field. But, you know, I think that that kind of led to, you know, I didn't quit. None of us quit. You know, we stuck to it, even though we were not winning every game. We enjoyed going out and being together and, and building that team and, and working from all week long pre preparation, preparation, preparation to execution on Friday night or if there was mosquito problems Saturday morning. And uh, that being able to do that with your team all the way through, um, that I think was a foundational thing for, for me in the film industry as far as you have pre-production you work with this team everybody has their their specialty everybody provides every nobody steps on toes you don't move that sandbag there's a union that moves that sandbag you don't throw that block there's somebody there that's assigned to throw that block you know so you learn to work within this unit all along the way and then you get through production and then you get to post-production and then you know your your film is done or your game is complete and then you can look back and see where you were efficient or deficient and then you, you know, you move along, but I think the performance aspect, I enjoyed that playing football. Uh, I think that led to, or that fed that same sort of bug uh, that I got when we would make those stories together that led to, you know, eight millimeter films that, you know, um, led to having a radio show in college. Um, Football afforded me the opportunity to go away to college. I went to Valdosta State out of Bishop Moore. And then from Valdosta State, I transferred to Iowa Wesleyan. Um, good God, I could go on about the characters, man, and the <laughs> times, and the, and, and it, it, we just, we could, and I want to hear about you, man, this, you know, um, uh, as well. I mean, this is, of course, we're catching up, but you asked me a question, and, and I'm, I'm a talker, dude. <laughs> That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I tell you, Chris, what, what, what I, I look back at those times and I share the memories with my kids from going to Bishop Moore. It was, in my opinion, it was an incredibly special school at the time. Yeah. I don't know if it's that way anymore. I have no idea. I'm not really connected with it, but I'm still friends with so many people from that era, yeah. like that I can pick up a phone and call if I need to. When we lose a family, when we lose somebody from the Bishop Moore family, we all mourn that loss, right? Like we're just, I feel it's just a different, it was a different time back then. So I don't know if it's that way anymore, but I look back at high school football as a couple lessons for me. One was I was working. I felt like I had to work harder than everybody else yeah. because of my limb difference, sure. right? I had to go do that. But then I also look back and I go, I mean, you know, Chris, you settled for making the team when you probably could have done a lot better if you'd have worked harder. And and I think those things through now. So now I'm at a point in my life where if I get connected with something, I don't just settle to be connected. I go to win the whole thing. Yes, right. Yeah. And, and I think that's a lesson that I can go back and draw from. And before we get off the football thing, I, I think it's important. I mean, 
I remember you getting, you, you were injured, severely injured yeah. at one point in your high school. Oh career. yeah. Do you look back at that and go, man, if I overcame that, like I can, there's not much that can hold me back. Brother. My, yeah. Uh, I was afraid this was going to be like a, <laughs> an unpacking kind of thing. Um, yeah, I did. I got injured really badly. Uh, my mom had died just a year prior. So my dad was a wreck. I can imagine. Um, yeah, I, I got a brain and spinal concussion, um, and I'd hit somebody head to head and, um, yeah, it put me out. I was done. I was, I had to be resuscitated from what I understand. I I woke up in the helicopter. Um, you know, uh, last thing I remember was a man shouting, he's dead. He's dead from the other side from like, it was us. I think it was Osceola we were playing. Um, yeah, it was either Os- yeah, Osceola or Gateway. It was somewhere yeah. in Osceola County yeah, for sure. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tito Paul was the kid. Tito Paul. He ended up going uh, to Ohio State. Ended up playing for the Denver Broncos. Uh, and I think he's doing insurance now for State Farm. I don't know. Little things you try and keep track of in your life. But yeah, oh, it meant something. It absolutely meant something. It, it, was, a, it was a turning point in my life that really started a confidence problem. Uh, because I was really injured. But when I recovered, you know, I was paralyzed for about two weeks from the neck down and then things started to come back online slowly. Um, it took about seven to 10 years for me to get full feeling back, you know, sensitivity and everything. It was numb for a long time, but yeah, it, it screwed me up psychologically. I never quite felt like, you know, well, maybe if I'd have gotten up and I'd have, you know, if I'd have snapped out of it or something, I could have, you know, we could have won that game and I would have never, you know, had to compromise. You know, there's so many things that you, you know, the what if isms that uh, if I'd have only, you know, um, then maybe I would have, I don't know, you know, you could do, if anything was different, bro, if anything was different, my kids wouldn't be here. So I can't, you know, my wife wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the opportunity for success that I have now, you know, um, that's it. That, I mean, you know, the, it, it, sh- it shook me, it shook my confidence. Um, it shook me. I was timid from then, you know, so I, I think I leaned in harder because I was so timid, which is stupid, but it did do something to me that took me until about 2014 to shake <laughs> I, I mean i you know being close to you i saw i saw a change in you after that like i mean I, you know what i mean like i saw the change in you personality was a little different um i think a little more open and focused mm-hmm. on life in general and not just in you know not just having blinders on about being a quarterback now yeah. it's like okay there's all these other things and and I applaud you for getting back on the field and and doing that, and that's a big deal. And and no, I'm not trying to get you to unpack your childhood. Well, nah. <laughs> do that. it's tough. Like, but that's the question. I because that, that I was just thinking this morning when I was leaving the gym. I'm like, if I was sitting across the table just having a cup of coffee with Chris, what would I talk about first? And that's the first thing I wanted to ask. I never, you know, when we were kids, we never asked that question. Right. You ask a question like that, people think there's something wrong with right. you, right? right? So um, now we're middle-aged. Wiser. And we can, yeah, you know, so. Yeah, no, no, um, that, that's interesting, you know. Um, 
that has had such an impact on my life and everything since then, you know, it, it, it did, it marked, it marked a, a turning point in my life where it's like everything after there, everything after that gets compared to that. Was it as bad as yeah. that? Did it paralyze me? No. So get up and go. You know, was it, you know, is it the fear of something? You know, it can't be, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm attacking fear every single day in jujitsu. You know, I'm fighting against this 1% of people on the planet that, that are just absolute monsters and yeah, throw myself in them every, every day, every day, conquering fear, conquering fear. Uh, and I think it, it, it has to be that thing, you know, that was just my, my, um, abyss staring moment into fear. <laughs> you know, I just had it at that age at that time, you know, some people, uh, uh you know, take, you know, I do auditions, even this interview, this, the, you know, fear, you know, that, Oh, is it going to, well, how is he going to ask when, me when these you, questions? And I, <laughs> well, <laughs> Chris, intervention. when you, when you, when you DM'd me back, like you were a little nervous in the DM, I'm like, totally. Oh, okay. Well, it's not like that. I don't want to, I'm not out here to grill anybody. I just wanted to have this. You have questions I want to ask and I'd ask them no matter what. Oh, anything, man. But it honestly, it was like, it was like, what do I have to offer? He's got these guys on that, you know, rallies with thousands of people that come and listen to them speak. And they, you know, he's, they're empowering people and people that have had, you know, and you know, my stories, a lot of them we can't probably tell for your audience, but (laughs) You know, I don't know. It's it's one of those like imposter syndrome things, like I was saying. You know, it's just me, bro. Just me. What do I have to offer? What do I have to say? I I learned a valuable lesson about imposter syndrome from my friend Renee Rodriguez, who's been on my show, and I was actually with him in Miami over the weekend for a couple days, and he said, "Chris, imposter syndrome is proof you're leveling up." When you put yourself in uncomfortable positions, that's where you are. And and you should always feel like you're an imposter syndrome. I'm like, dude, that I'm I'm on my way then because I feel like <laughs> every day when I get out of bed, right? Like I walk in the gym, the same gym with my trainer that I work out three days a week. And every time I walk in there, I feel like I'm not supposed to be there. You know, there's guys in there training for the draft and everything else. And I'm just like, here comes Chris walking in the gym. So I, I love that part of it, but I love the humility though, Chris. I love the humility, right? Because I, you know, I think that that's just comes with age, the humility part of that. And I think that you could have made a decision when you were hurt there to let that take you down a path and nobody would have been mad at you. Right. Just like my life dealing with my mom as a drug addict and all those, like I could have gone down a path. I literally had an aunt tell me one time, Christopher, it's okay. If you become a screw up, we understand like what kind of, what kind of approval is that? Wow. Yeah. What does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, you know, systemic. So you, you've, you've, you've stared into your abyss and you know, you've, you are able to change the system. You are able to going forward. And now, you know, (laughs) with your new child, you're definitely able to change that systemic. Yes. Culture. Definitely. You know, I mean, and, and, and it's, it's, unfortunately it's not unique you know um mm-hmm. it, it's in in many different ways uh it's it's um it's something that we see from previous generations where it was you you can't unta- you can't talk about certain feelings you can't share certain things you can't talk about what's happening behind the closed doors that you know maybe the parent is doing that you know is upsetting the child and 
when those confrontations now um i think are are happening at least are a little bit more on the open there's you know people are talking about things a lot more openly um they're acknowledging maybe if they have a, a you know, oh it's a mental thing i'm having okay well then there's a, a possible diagnosis for that or there's i'm having a problem with this person is having uh, trouble with x y and z in their life and they can't shake it and there's something there's a group there's a there's definitely a way for that that system to change now that wasn't in place when when we were kids and and you know unfortunately well i dude look what it's done to you it's made you hard as nails man and you think about those kids when you go in there and they're training for the draft and doing those things yeah they're 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 young and they're virile and they're going for it and they're they've got you know everything looking at you know but then they look over at you brother you're in there too you're not training for no draft what are you in there doing you're not complaining you're not looking taking you're not with your latte you're not you know chasing tail in there you're in there getting after it with some freaking harness on this shit that makes you able to press the same shit they're doing you know those guys if they don't do an extra rep when they're done <laughs> they go fuck themselves <laughs> you know if they don't do an extra rep yeah. or two when they're done 10 no 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 12 yo you did 12 i'll do 13 and I think that too, I think that's what, what brought me back to football as well was, was doing that with the team, having that pushing from the team. Cause we all did, we used to work out together and there were those things. And I mean, I'm sure that happens amongst all teams everywhere, but that's, that's what, that's what brought me back was, was that it was, I didn't want to lose out on that. I didn't want to lose that camaraderie, the friendships and God, remember the pads you used to wear? The the, yeah, they're they're. Yeah, I got a picture. I mean, they're like massive, right? Like, I mean, I I, I played linebacker, right? Yeah. So my pads were like yeah. I could have hit a truck with them, and they wouldn't have hurt my shoulder. <laughs> Man, yeah, dude, I remember that. Those big bike pads, big bike helmets. Yeah, I mean, you, you see them now, like like we would have thigh pads and knee pads and hip pads, and 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 I would take two for them because remember my senior year, I broke my arm my left arm like second week of the season and i i played the rest of the year with a broken arm yeah 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 and and i put a forearm pad here and a forearm pad pads. here and yes, i would take it up right pad, yeah and it, it looked like a steel flipper <laughs> a flipper <laughs> hey man but hey man hey man you know <laughs> that flipper was a mother dude hey. oh yeah i give some people the business with it for sure yeah 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 for sure without a doubt so and then wrestling. I want to talk just some, like, what'd you say? And then wrestling too. Wrestling too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just always had a no quit kind of, that's just my thing. And that's, I think why, like recently I did 75 hard last year. And then, you know, are you familiar with what that program is? Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm, yeah. you know, not terribly familiar, but I've, I've been following you. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, so two 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 workouts a day, forty five minutes, one inside, one outside. No alcohol, no cheat meals. Read ten pages a day. Drink a gallon of water. So I did that, and I did the thing called the Live Hard program, where we extended out another thirty days. But then for my fiftieth birthday, I did the David Goggins challenge. Okay, which which is run four miles every four hours for forty eight hours. And then I did two extra miles because I turned 50 that week. Okay. And that was, dude, 
that was brutal, man. But four miles every four hours for forty eight hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So total sleep deprivation. Like you yeah. get a little bit of sleep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You find out some yeah. things about yourself for sure. You do. You do. But the cool thing was is I had somebody with me every single time I went out the door. Somebody came over like four in the morning, midnight, wow. eight o'clock. My wife did a couple rounds with me. Jason Purcell did a round with yeah, me. Yeah, Purcell. Um, partner BJ did a round with me. Right. Um, just my sister-in-law, a couple of the guys that work for me. I mean, my personal trainer was here. So it's cool that the people that will jump in and help you accomplish those things. Savage. Um, I don't Purcell. think I'll do that again. He looks like he's still in great shape too. He is. He is. He, we have the same trainer. I just saw him this morning when I left the, I get there at six 30 on Wednesdays. He gets there at seven 30. So. Uh, why so yeah. late? Yep. <laughs> you know, because I have the six 30 slot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's so. that's cool that you guys are still, still in touch. Still friends. That's great. Yeah. I mean, we that's work great. together. So, I mean, I see him almost oh, every okay. day. So. Okay. Okay. So you're back yeah. in Florida then. Yep. You were yeah. I've been back in Florida for about seven years. Okay. So how long have you been in California? Um, I think I moved out here. Um, I say I think I think it was ninety six or ninety seven. I really it was it's tough, man. Um, to recall that I can't remember which. I don't remember if I because I worked at the Golf Channel when I came home from Iowa Wesleyan. Uh, I graduated, came home, worked at the Golf Channel worked for Arnold Palmer for like six, seven months or something. And then, and then I had to make the split. I, I said, I got to go. If I don't go now, I'm never going to go. So I think that was 96. I had $236 and a gas card that was good to about Houston. And then there was no, there's no Amco's past West of Houston. So I had to gas and go a bit because I stayed a week in Texas visiting old college buddies. Um, on my way out. So I stayed a week in Texas and spent about 200 of my $236. And then when I finally got to, Oh God, my trip out. Yeah. That's a whole other story. It was amazing. Finally got to, um, Redondo beach, California had $11 left and no place to live. So I lived in my truck for the first week ish. Um, yeah, but that was in 96. And then got a got a got a job at a hotel, <clears throat> got an advance on half a paycheck that I put towards half a deposit on a crack house, on a room in a crack house in Torrance, California. I say crack house because the guy, one of the guys that yeah. lived in this house was a huffer, and he put paint thinner in the in the structure of the house so it would smell like paint thinner constantly. Oh my god! <laughs> so, I yeah. Um, needless to say, I. I and he was a smoker too. So I'm pretty sure that that house was going to go up at any moment. Um, yeah, it was not a, not a, it was a not good situation, but, um, <clears throat> you know, to make those leaps, you know, um, for that net to appear, you have to, sometimes you got to go, man. And, uh, and I, you make your way. You do. You just, I mean, I don't know how you can't do it again. <laughs> I could never do it again. I couldn't tell somebody else how to do it. You know, I can only say that I did it and, and that's it. I, I, I'm still alive. Um, <laughs> yeah. So about 90, about 96, 97 ish, right at the end of 96, I think it was. Yeah. And then. So yeah. do, you, 
Do you share that story often? No. On what that journey was like when you first got there? Not often. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. Well, there was, I mean, cause it's so, it's like, it's almost too cliche. Uh, dude, I, I was at a diner in new Orleans on the way out. And there was this guy at the end of the table at the end of the diner. And it was like early morning and I just finished my, my eggs and where are you going boy? And the whole thing, man, I'm going out to LA uh-huh. and blah, blah, blah. Well, if you, he said, <laughs> and this is the thing. It's like, it's so cliche, but it happened. He said, well, if you aim for the stars and you fall short and you land on the moon, you're still on higher ground. I was like, well, all right, man. That's cool. That's cool. I'll take that. I'll take that. That's better than, well, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. And that was that was my dad's <laughs> phrase to me. When I was three years old, I put a hammer into my skull because I was banging it on the ground, on an anchor, actually. My parents had this anchor they, they brought up from the Bahamas, and it was in our front lawn. And so I was banging on it with a hammer when I was three years old. And then on the, the comeback, I got it, I got it stuck in my head. And done a lot of bad things to my head, Chris Welton. <laughs> it, I, Concussion. The story about get, but the story about getting to California and where you're in, that that sounds like a movie, Chris. I think you might know somebody <laughs> that into a movie. Uh, you know, it was. Uh, I would never do it again. I would never suggest doing that, but it absolutely had to be that way for me. Um, and, and it's, it's been, a uh, it's been my back against the wall ever since, you know, it's never been a moment where, you know, you, you get to a point where you can rest, you know, um, it's tough mentally. And this feeds back into the football thing into the, you know, not thinking I'm good enough, but still going out and trying. And I'm competing with Tommy Pita for this position, and he's a tremendous uh-huh. athlete. And we got, you know, a, 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 a you know an offense that doesn't really throw the ball very much. And I'm a passer, and it's no. like, so you know, the the will it's the camaraderie. But um, backing up, it absolutely had to happen that way for me. And I've had my back against the wall, and it, it's never yeah. been a moment where. Um, you make it at any point, uh, at least, you know, not for myself. And, and, uh, there's been times where you just, God, two, three auditions in a day, uh, four or five times a week, driving 130, 140 miles in that day to get to those couple auditions, booking none of them, uh, just, you know, two, three pages each, you have to be fully memorized. Um, never really had a problem with the memorization thing, but just, in the the i mean it's not like you're going from you know apopka to altamont springs you know it the distance would be the same but it would take you an hour and a half to get there there. (laughs) you know and you're in traffic that whole time you don't know this but i'm i'm originally from huntington beach california oh no that's where i'm from yeah that's where i'm from and um yeah, so I do spend some time down in Orange County. I still have family there. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I understand the traffic, and um, I go out of my way to fly into Orange County and not into LAX because LAX is it's yeah. Because the cool thing though about LAX is when you get off the plane there, you don't have to go buy any weed. You just have to inhale, and you're high. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're the I lived there. Like that was where I lived, man. I lived. It's Playa del Rey. You fly into El Segundo, Playa del Rey. I lived right there in Playa del Rey for twenty years. You know, um, okay. right there, right on the beach. Um, 
yeah, growing my family. And that's the other thing too. It's like when you try and have a family and a career, a career like acting where, <laughs> you know, there it's a revolving door where there's thousands of people that show up every single day to do that same thing. Um, it's nuts to try and wrap your head around trying to get a job, let alone build a resume um, and try and raise a family. So there's again, that thing in your head where you're like, I'm not making it. I'm trying to raise a family, I'm trying to do everything by the book. And I, I want to tell my friends that, Hey, I'm, I'm going on an audition that I'm not going to get again. I'm going on here. I'm not going to get it. It's like, it's, you don't want to leave. You were talking about the other day in your podcast. I think you were talking about talking about the negatives. Everybody only talks about their positives, about their wins. Well, let me tell you, man, there's, there's one win out of every 150 to 200 fucking dick kicks that you get, you know, doing the shit that I'm doing. Um, it, it obliterates you mentally. It absolutely obliterates you mentally. Um, you don't make much, you, you, everything's pro bono until it's not, um, it's brutal to try and do and to play other people while you're doing it. You, you know, you, you, it harkens me back to this little part in Zoolander where <laughs> John Boyd's talking to Ben Stiller, where he's talking about, yeah, you, you, you're talking, you're, you're, you're this male model or you're this, you this, <laughs> with you're uh, you're wearing underwear with your wiener hanging out, you know, for everybody to see. And it's like, that's kind of like what it's like. You, you gotta, you have to humiliate yourself and prostrate yourself in front of this camera to play other people, to do other things. And, and the people on the other side of the camera don't really realize that it's kind of like, you're just exposing yourself and these emotions to do this thing. And your body goes through it. Everything goes through it. So when you leave this audition that you're probably not going to get, um, you feel like you just lost your dog. You just lost your husband. You just lost your wife. You Because your body doesn't know the difference. So you're putting You feel yourself, that every time, Chris? Yeah, you do. You feel that every time? You better. Yeah. You better. Otherwise, you're not connecting to the role. You have to connect to that character. You yeah. know, that's that's what it is. It's it's putting yourself through this. And it's not becoming this other thing. It's allowing yourself to be humiliated to the point where it puts you through that. You know, because you just got humiliated in front of the the class, and now you know maybe you pooped your pants or something in class, or you farted in class. You have to go through that feeling. So your body doesn't know the difference. Your brain doesn't know the difference, and then yeah you'll cut whatever or you you know that's the end of the scene then you get up you walk out to the lobby and there's 10 other you <laughs> 10 other 15 other people that look just like you that are waiting to go and humiliate themselves just the same then you pack up you drive across town and then you go pretend like you're being shot out of a cannon in front of a crowd of 200 people you know with a with a banner behind you that says welcome to bed bath and beyond <laughs> <laughs> you do that for 20 years and 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 uh, raise a family and still try and have a smile on your face and and but that time that you get that one that one that you book motherfucker it makes it all worth it it makes it all worth it I had this one job I, I don't want to name names or anything it was a huge it was a huge deal they were the biggest producer in the business. This is doing what's called reshoots. They already shot the film. They had to do some pickups and reshoots of certain scenes. And so they had to fly everybody in to do all these things. And it cost a lot of money to do this. It was a lot of money. The, the, the movie was coming out in a couple months. They had to have this stuff done. And 
uh, a friend of mine was working on the film. They needed somebody who was this actor's height and could read. So my friend called me and said, hey, would you do stand-in? And could you read lines opposite these other guys? And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Because the other guys were like big people. So I'm like, I'm there. I'm there. Thank you for thinking of me, first of all. And he goes, well, I know you can crunch dialogue. So there's some dialogue in this. I was like, sweet. So I get there and I get to set and it's a tiny little tent and there's cameras. It's hot. It's Palmdale, which is the desert. And uh, everybody's under the gun to get this done because time constraints, a lot of money, a lot of money happening in a short amount of time to get it done. They hand me the script that I'm supposed to be reading. And everything is super tiny because they've shrunken the page down to one eighth size. So it's really just as a reference, you know, for everybody to know where we are in the scene. So they hand me the little script that I'm supposed to read. I'm off camera, but everybody else is I'm feeding the lines to the actors, to the stars of the film. And I look and see what I'm supposed to say. And everything, this is taking place in the Middle East and I can barely read it. And everything is like they're talking about locations and they're talking about people and there's names being named. And I'm like, Oh my God, what did I agree to do? And then they turn off all the lights to shoot. And there goes, my pages go blank. Like I can't even, I I don't even know what's on the page. So like, what do you do in that moment? It's like, I can't see the lines. I don't know. I'm supposed to be jostling back and forth with the camera behind the cameraman to provide eye lines for these different actors as they're doing their scenes. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I start to feel that panic, that panic that set in. And I don't know, like, I, it was like one of those things where it just, it kicks in. You know, you get up under center and you look at your defense and it's all set. Mm-hmm. Boom, that's a cover three. I know exactly what needs to happen. You know, oh, they've adjusted. They've shifted to a cover four. I know what needs to happen now. I got to switch, you know, all those little adjustments start to happen. And it just, it started coming. I started delivering the lines. Boom, 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 boom. It was just recall. It was just recall. It was recall. And I, I gone through everything. I put everything compartmentalized and put it away. And I just dealt with what I needed to deal with. And I was delivering these lines to these actors. I did it. And then when it was done, the director came up and he gave me a compliment in front of everyone. And it was one of those ones in 150. And I called my dad afterwards and I said, dad, you're never going to see this. No one's ever going to see this. It didn't make the, I'm not even in this film. But I just pulled some shit out of my ass. <laughs> that, that, that I, I just, and I, I had to explain to him, you know, the enormity of the amount of money that was riding on this and what had just happened. And it was like, this is why I do this. This for these moments, for that little, for that little compliment that the director gave me. He understood. Everybody else in the, like when it was done, he he said, "Cut!" Everybody's outside smoking cigarettes, and I'm trying to decompress. I'm trying to like, do you understand what? <laughs> I just memorized like eight pages of you know Middle Eastern dialect and delivered to some freaking heroes of mine so they can get on a plane and go to a fight in Vegas in an hour. And I'm like trying to decompress. Did I do a good job? And then I'm having like this serious imposter syndrome because it means nothing to the overall picture. 
it's already forgotten about. Yeah, but, They've moved but, on, and I'm like, but, did, was it good? Did I even do a good job? Did I have to – does anybody want to – I mean, it was just like, oh. So, Chris, what, what I'm getting there, though, from that is that it meant the world to you to keep you moving and keep you going. Your kids catch those things from you, right? Mm. Kids are caught – things that kids do, you're caught, not taught. Mm. Nice. So when they see those things from you – but also when you have the stories of your kids, when you're talking to them, you know, it's understanding that most of the time, the stuff you're going to go after in life, you're going to fail, <laughs> but it's the times that you win. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and today, a lot of people are on our program that way. I mean, let's talk major league baseball. If you can hit the ball three out of 10 times, you're in the hall of fame. Yeah. Right. Right. In the hall of fame. But everybody thinks they should be seven out of 10. Right. right. Because when they get on social media, everybody's winning. Right. right? Everybody's winning. Right. Um, but cause I, I was curious about that. Is that that's, so that's what keeps you driving and moving forward, chasing that next big opportunity. But from what I see as a lay person who just likes to watch film, right. And my, my cousin, um, uh, Katie Deshawn, she lives in, in Orange County, but she was an actress for a long time and, um, still does some stuff. But, you know, for me, I feel everybody's just one more contact away from getting a leading role in a major motion picture, sure. right? If you're constantly there, right? Like you could get a call today and you could text me later and say, dude, you're not going to believe what happened, right? I'm going to go do this big mat, whatever. So I, so that's, I believe, is that the driving force that, Hey man, I, you know what? It, it could happen at any time. I mean, there's, there's all these success stories of people that didn't get their first big role until they were in their fifties. Sure. 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 I mean, there's, <clears throat> I'm not, uh, there was a point in time, where I was hold not holding out for that, but believing in that, that that's, you know, and it really, it, like I said, in 2014, I had a crystal bullet moment. Um, and it was how I can explain it is everybody around me was popping all my friends from acting class, everybody's booking series regulars, they're booking features They're I mean, it was like, there was a joke. It was like, Hey man, be my friend, dude, because you'll be a success. <laughs> um, so it was just like one of those things. And I thought like early on in my career, I thought I'd, I, I, I listened to a lot of people and I had done some projects that, you know, I listened to other people and they said, ah, it doesn't matter. Everybody does it. You, you know, you got to get your name in the door. You got to get, you know, get work under your belt somehow. Well, the industry changed and I kind of got blackballed, not blackballed, but it didn't look good when the internet came out. Um, everybody grew consciences is, is, um, and so then it was hard. I had to start all over, you know, I mean, that was like a, a, a moment where I went to Mexico and wasn't going to come back. And I, I did write a script kind of around that. Um, but they, I hadn't planned on coming back. I took all my stuff with me, went to Mexico, um, stayed on the beach and left, <laughs> left pretty much everything there. Um, you learn a lot about yourself there. It's like four miles every four hours for 48 hours. Uh -huh. You know, you'd stand on the beach naked screaming at God for enough times um, for a week um, and uh, see some UFOs and some shit. I don't know, allegedly. Um, but I've been around avionics my entire life and that was some shit I'd never seen before. But I just had this moment where it's like, change your name, go back, start over. You're, you know, I'm going to wake you up every single night if you don't, 
and I'm going to wake you up every single night in the middle of the night anyway. So you might as well get on the train and do it. You know, keep moving forward, always moving forward, always moving forward. So I, I did. I came back. I decided to, to – I came back with a surfboard. That's all I came back with and some shorts and started over, changed my name, um, started hitting it hard again, went a few years. But then it was still that same old pattern of whatever it was I was doing. I felt like, you know, um, I equate it to um, looking at the stars. You look at the stars, right? And you look at those two stars. They're right next to each other. That's how I felt. I was so close. And like you were mentioning, you're that one roll away. I feel like that's right there. That's right there. You're that close. You look at those stars. They're that close. But then you think about the perspective of that. You get up right close to it, and they're never going to touch. They're millions of years, light years apart. That's where I felt I was, you know, with the reality of it was that. And I'm thinking it's like, oh, I'm, I'm this close, I'm this close. But the reality is I was really like that. And it was, I read a book. I don't know if any actors follow you, um, but it works well in business too. Um, it's, it's called Self-Management for Actors. Uh, it was written by Bonnie Gillespie. And it is an absolute absolute matrix slaying game changer for me it taught me how to mark how to how to network um not necessarily network but how to how to find the goal you want to reach this goal there's a way to get there and there's an ethical way and there's a right way and there's a natural way to get there through relationships and that's what her her book taught me was how to nurture those relationships, not about going and get, you know, getting on Gary, you know, I'm going to follow everything Gary V says, you know, I'm going to learn what attention arbitrage means and I'm going to do this with my fingers and I'm going to do, you know, every, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to do those things because it works for Gary, but that's not, you know, you don't have those relationships that Gary has. Gary's nurtured relationships. Are, I, you know, I say this because he's blown up to me, Gary V in the past yep, few years, he's actually same. blown up to me. Um, and that's fantastic. I don't, subscribe or you know i've read the books but um i'm i'm not you know i'm not a, a fanboy of his outside of the fact that the man is dialed in he's absolutely killing it uh and i want to tap that same kind of motivation and energy because he's not wrong you should be filming you should be doing your bit whatever it is you want to do um but but that's you know um yeah, I kind of get lost track of where I was going. I started talking about Gary. I got passionate talking about a guy who's passionate. That, that's all right. I, you know, I tell you a book that also right. lines me with that. Something I'm reading right now is The Magic of Thinking Big. Ooh. Yeah. And um and and that came from a recommendation from from Steve Harvey. And um I mean, it's an old book, but I'm reading it right now. I mean, I read every day. Like I I in high that's school, fantastic. all I read was Cliff Notes, and I wasn't even good at that. But later in life, I realized there's a lot of good stuff there. But when I read The Magic of Thinking Big has been really. That's great. A really powerful book. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah, this one, I, it, I mean, it, it just, it set things into motion that was like, okay, wait a second. I'm doing this entirely wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to throw out a hundred seeds to the wind, you know, because I'm, I'm this, I am this here. You guys, you're this pool of people looking for this here. I am this. And I throw out my seeds to the wind. It's terrible. <laughs> and that's what this book showed me. It's terrible. You have to focus. Look at the conversations these people are having. Look at the relationships they're in. Are those relationships leading to the, the end result that, you know, sorry, cutting off myself from the camera. 
leading to the end result of what you want. If they're not, then those are not avenues to, to throw your seeds to, you know? So that was a huge eye opener to me and relationships and focus. And that brought all the thing yeah. that, that took all that waiting for that one relationship, one role thing to happen and put it all aside and said, I'm not waiting for that anymore. I'm doing it myself. So I took, you know, I was writing and I was compiling scripts for people over the past, the past 15, 20 years. I was always writing scripts for people to direct and hopefully to pull me into act into. Um, so I've had those, but I really took, you know, the pandemic right before the pandemic hit, it was 2014 to 2019. I was kind of building up what I needed to do. I was setting my foundation for kind of where I am now and where I'll be tomorrow. So based on the book that I read from Bonnie and the relationship building, and it was self building more than it was relationship building. I had to build myself. So I know what relationships I'm going to enter into. Plus, when you're entering into a relationship, you don't want to be coming with all, the, with the negative and with the baggage of why you need that person's help. You're coming with something to offer, you know. And Come so with value. I had yep. to, bring I value. had to bring up my value, and then I had to have something of value. I didn't have a reel to show. Yep. I didn't have new headshots to show. I didn't have anything to bring to the party. So, from 14 to 19, I was trying to build up something to show, and it wasn't happening. And I said, Jesus, it just if the world could just shut down for five fucking seconds so I could gather my thoughts and take a deep breath because I got 20 years pent up that I just need to just focus on. And I just want to let out and then the world stopped. <laughs> it did. And, and bluff was called and not a moment was fucking wasted. I started writing feverishly for what I'm working on now. The project I just finished the project we finished before that. Um, we took the, uh, 30 plus awards for the Huntsman and the Hound, which we did in 2019, 2020. And then 2021, we focused on Harbinger of Death, which was the short that we just finished. And we had like 20 plus awards for that too, as a team, we just worked well together. And we did kind of all at the same time, um, myself and then some like-minded friends that I've had over these years, all did that same thing. We all just into ourselves, built ourselves up, figured out how we're gonna make it work for, for ourselves. And it was us, we were a SAG production. It was us and one other production in Hollywood that was working at all <laughs> during the pandemic. It, at this one specific time when everything was completely shut down, we were the only production still going. Um, in LA, there was one other in Atlanta that was going, but um, we decided that we were just not gonna worry about anything studio related, anything network related, anything. We're just gonna focus on our stuff and pump it out. And if somebody books a job, great, you bring that back to to the you know community and then we put that money into the projects um that's kind of so that's that's like where we're at now but it's more self-reliant no more of kind of you know doing things the traditional way um yeah i'm past that I'm, I'm past that it's it's all about doing it from myself for myself and for i, I don't mean that in a selfish way i mean that right. in, in an absolute selfish way <laughs> <laughs> so here, here, here's the thing too. I think that everybody loves a comeback story, regardless of what was knocked down. For there. sure. I mean, this is a, this is a horrible analogy, but if Michael Vick could come back, anybody for sure. can come back. For sure. I mean, you just can't, right? You can't hurt animals, and, man. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but you come back. I mean, he would come back. He's on television. He got to play more, whatever. So, for sure. 
I think a lot of times we don't come back from situations like that because we don't believe that it's possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like we don't believe that. Well, shoot, I messed up really bad. I'm done. Yeah. And and I and I think that kudos to you for believing in yourself to come back. You pivoted a little bit, and now you're going after you it have again. To. I'm just I'm just curious. What's the support like as you do this? I mean, it's got to be tough to be married to an actor. <laughs> so, like, um, your your wife, she must be a saint. Like, I mean, tell me tell me a little bit about that, Chris. Um, well, I would hate to speak for my wife. Um, she, I'm I'm a. We weren't going to unpack these things. No, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a bit I'm a bit much. Um, I, my my wife is absolutely the best. She's very supportive. Um, and she doesn't, I have you know, one of she, those too. God, you know, you have to, it, it, when, when you're taking, when you're taking your life of yourself on, you know, you really have to have somebody who's, who's supportive and understanding that it's, there's no template for how to do it when it's of yourself. You know, there's people that you can emulate. There's canaries in the coal mine, but you really have to, it's, it doesn't get done unless you do it. You don't work out unless you work out. You don't uh-huh. learn the lines unless you study the lines. You don't feel that emotion unless you've put your body in that state where you feel that emotion. You know, you have to go through those things to, you know, to experience it. But I don't, I don't like my wife, she understands that and gives me that space and calls me out on the bullshit too. If she sees something that she's like, eh, that looks like bad acting or, you know, whatever it is, she, you know, and sometimes I have to compartmentalize her. I have to give her a fake name. Uh, so I can understand that I'm getting notes from Carol or I'm getting notes from my wife, Jennifer. If I'm getting notes from my wife, Jennifer, I will, you know, I, I will address them in a, in a different way than I will if I'm getting it from Carol. And I have to separate. And she understands that. It's kind of weird, but um, I, I, I want to honor that, you know, um, because I honor what she has to say. And I don't want to diminish it just because it's coming from my wife. Um, that should never be, you know, it should be the most powerful thing because it's coming from your wife. But, um, and that's, that's for other people too, that don't know that dynamic. If she's on set, you know, they don't know. I mean, everybody knows that she's my wife, but I'm just saying it creates that. It's not the producer's wife. It's not the actor's wife. It's just, it's the notes coming from this person are legit, just as legit as they are from this person. Um, but she, my wife handles the kids, um, I say handles the kids. She's been homeschooling the kids for their duration. My son's 16, about to be 16. And my daughter just turned 13. And uh, they're freaking rad, man. My son's a YouTuber. Uh, he's got a, a, a channel called Tristube HD on YouTube. He does video gaming. Um, my daughter's a dancer. And she has been for, she's 13. She's been dancing for 10 and a half years. 11 and a half years. Um, and she's a, an assistant instructor at Bobby's School of Performing Arts in Newberry Park. And she's a competitive dancer and she slays. And my wife keeps it all together. She's got a neurotic, um, probably multipolar actor husband and two kids that are nonstop in two different directions at the same time. Thankfully, Tristan does a lot of work from home, so he's kind of grounded, but uh, Cassidy, they're, they're all over the place. They were in, um, gosh, they were in Anaheim last week. They're up Northern California this coming weekend. And then they have Vegas in a couple weeks. 
competitive dance is a, like a travel ball. It's like travel baseball or travel yeah, or anything my, else. My youngest daughter was, did competitive dance and oh, competitive okay. cheer from sure. the age of three until yeah. she graduated high school. So we were all over the country with that. Yep. But I tell you what. She graduated from Florida State. Uh, oh, I'm sorry to, to say that. that. Man. I know, I know. Back. But she graduated from FSU with a 3.9 GPA with a degree in finance, because, wow. and, and and a 4.0 from from high school. You wow. know what I mean? So those the the learning the disciplines of being active in athletics created that right. Yeah. Like that's what what's created that there. And my oldest daughter was not a fan of school. She just wasn't her thing, but she saved money when she got out of school. She became a cut. She was cutting hair mm -hmm. and she saved money and she bought her first food truck. So she has a food truck now and she has a catering service and she That's is rad. just killing That's it. That's awesome. So, so, you know, sometimes college isn't the path, but uh, for her, she is just absolutely, she just, she's done it up. Oh, you know? I mean, great. I'm proud of both my girls. They're just and and the best compliment is when they tell me, "Hey, Dad, I got we got our work ethic from you." They were both here for Christmas. They're like, "We got it from you." Awesome. We saw you always grinding and working and trying to go other places in life, and yep, and that's how we got it. Yep. So it's and and your kids get it from you too, Chris. Oh, thank you. That's what I mean, without a they doubt. Go, and then they, the, it's cool that they see the stabilization factor of your wife yeah, as part of that. Yeah. And in my wife, you know, I've been with my wife for. Um, It'll be 11 years in August. That's great, and man. she is without a doubt, my number one fan allowing me to take on other things. I travel all over the country right now. We're doing speaking and just different stuff. And she totally gets it. I invest in myself all the time. I'm like, Hey, I've got this opportunity to get really in deep with this guy. Who's really going to help me grow my speaking, my coaching mm -hmm. and all these other stuff. It's gonna be a massive connect, but it's X amount of dollars. What do you think? She goes, Do you know how much I spent to do you know how much I spent to go to college? She's in dermatology. So she goes, You know how much <laughs> oh, I spent geez, to go yeah. to school? I'm like, I'm like, yeah. She goes, This is you going to school. Right. Like I I'm I'm a hundred percent in. Right. So it's just massive that that's the that we have the that support. support system in life to, to get where we want to go. Man. It's necessary. But I I wanna uh, we're going to wrap it up here just real sure. quick because we got to do another episode because I don't think we got even oh, close man. to getting it done, but I think it's going to be really good. But dude, from somebody on the outside who, who you've told some of the story to and knows it, dude, you literally could take your life story and sell it to Amazon <laughs> or somebody else. My friend, Damon West, I don't know if you know who Damon, he was on my podcast. He's the guy who wrote the coffee bean book. His life story is getting ready to come out. I like that, um, that coffee bean. That's a great little story. That's yeah, so he was on my show. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, check I it did, out. I did, um, yes. How I met Damon, Chris, was um, I saw he's a big fan of Jordan tennis shoes like me. So I do this thing called One Jordan. And I take one Jordan tennis shoe. I found out your size and I send a handwritten note. Right. So I sent it to Damon West. He called me. He's like, hey, man, that's the crate. That's the coolest gift I've ever been given. The cool thing was is like two weeks later, we spoke on the same stage in Charleston, South Carolina. Cool. So we got to actually interact. And then my flight was delayed. His flight was delayed. So we, I was actually sitting there and he was on the phone with the, um, the producers and the writers from Friday night lights, because they're the ones who wanted to do the, who are wanting to do his life story. Sure. So, wow, dude, you have just as powerful a story. <laughs> you just got to believe in that, man. Ah, you got to believe you. in that. Thank I you. mean, maybe that's the one thing, Chris, 
that takes that to that next level because your story's super powerful, man. Thank you. you came from a good school and, you know, growing up, Bishop Moore is a great school, this great environment. And you could have been soft and ended up like a bunch of people we know that got nowhere. They have no, got nowhere, right? But you didn't do that. You went to Valhalla State and then you transferred schools and you came back and said, this isn't for me. And 200 and some dollars <laughs> later in a gas cart, you figure out a way to get California, man. So yeah. I'm super proud to be a friend of oh, yours wow. and, and honored to have you on here. And I can't wait to see where our relationship, this rekindling it, where it goes from yeah, here. Yeah, dude. dude. Oh, that's, right? that's awesome. Thank you. Very powerful, man. That, that, uh, yeah. again, just boosts the imposter syndrome. That's, uh, I appreciate it. I, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to go back and, and analyze this. This was, you know, you, thank you very much. Thank you for this yeah. opportunity. Uh, I've spoken words. I, I haven't spoken before <laughs> and there's the of you course, know man, it, it's, you, you don't it's it's weird because you feel like you know my wings of wax i still have a little bit left man i i, I you know you got I, a lot left i'm, I'm, lot I'm left. out here i'm out here slinging at dreams you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, but there's a lot left i appreciate it we will definitely have a you'll be the first person who's been on my show twice because we're gonna have to come back and revisit this <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in to the one hand at a time podcast today If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and share. I'm often asked if I'm available for speaking opportunities or accepting new coaching clients. The answer is yes. Feel free to click the Calendly link in the show notes to set up a 30-minute call with myself. And remember, as we move forward in life, we do it one hand at a time.